you know, I'll tell you, tell you a funny story. You, you've probably heard me say this before if you've been tracking with us for any amount of time, but I remember when Claire was kind of in that age to where, you know, she was trying to figure out, you know, is she going to stay in workshop or, or, uh, uh, or come, in, you know, into the service? And, and, uh, and so she, she said, can I stay in the service? And, and we said, sure, you can, you can stay since they're all, they all have to stay in here tonight. So she got about, I don't know, five minutes into the service. You know, we, we like to, we, we roll when it's the sermon time, right? Sometimes we're teaching 45, sometimes 50 minutes, not, not tonight though. And, uh, and so about five minutes in, she looked over and whispered to Vanessa, good God, when is this going to be over? <laughs> she said, can you walk me back to my class? I'm not going to make it. So, so, so for all of you young people that are used to it, you're, you're going to make it. It might feel like you're suffering, right? But Jesus has a reward for you in heaven, right? <laughs> One day far from here. So, hey, so we're, uh, just to give you a, just a little bit of a, uh, a snapshot of where we're headed over the next several weeks, we've got a great lineup for you over the next several months. Uh, uh, next week, we're going to be wrapping up our series on Praxis, and so uh, in this series on discipleship, so, so we're in the, in the home stretch with that. The week after that, our very own Sharon Thomas is going to be preaching here. Come on for the first time. You should give it up. I know it's going to be so good. She's not here this weekend. She's doing a retreat, but we're excited about her uh, bringing a message that weekend before Easter. So then we've got Easter weekend, which is going to be big. Uh, and then Pastor Jamie and I are going to do a series together between both campuses just on excess in life, the idea of overworking, overeating. And so we're going to work through a list of overs and uh, through that series. But we're going to break in that series on the 18th and the 19th, and we're going to give you an update on where we are with our 2020 vision that you know we uh, launched at our anniversary service in January. So we've made great strides in that uh, with the, uh, the, the, uh, the internship that we want to see launched in September, the Southside campus that we want to see launched January of next year. Uh, so we're going to be making some huge announcements that weekend, the 18th and the 19th. So then we've got Mother's Day, uh, which you know Vanessa rocks that every year that weekend. So that's going to be good. And, uh, and then I'm finally going to get to my, my message on fasting that I wanted to do in January, right? So we're going we're gonna to get to that in May, but we're going to be breaking down some texts in Isaiah that really uh, bring, I think, some revelation to, uh, to fasting and why that's important, and we're going to mention that a little bit tonight. So, hey, but before we get into the message, I was uh, just reading uh, today, and I uh, just felt like God put some things on my heart, and so uh, I'm going to read out of Joshua in a minute. This doesn't have anything to do with the message, but we just, we're just believing that as we're reading through the Bible together this year, that there's going to be some prophetic moments that God brings into our, our weekend service as we read in Scripture together, and I felt like God was really speaking some things to me uh, early this morning as, as uh, I was reading. But it, in the worship set, I was even thinking about it some more. You know, I think sometimes we think that, 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 that Jesus' ministry didn't require effort because he was perfect, that his ministry didn't require effort because he was divine, that his ministry didn't require effort because he's, he's, the, he's the Son of God. And, and when we read Scripture, careful study of Scripture, we realize that's not the case. That there was effort that he had to bring to the moment. Now, his effort produced results that are far beyond ours, no doubt, because he is divine, because he is the Son of God, but he had, there was effort. The Bible tells us that, that he grew weary. The Bible tells us that he got hungry. The Bible tells us that he got tired, right? The, the, the Bible tells us, and, and, and through his conversations with people, that, that he got irritated with people. I, yeah, I know, he did, right? You can read it for yourself. His, his, it required effort from him. And, and, and there were times where his effort 
produced such physical signs that at the end of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he even sweat droplets of blood, which is a, a, a literal medical physical condition that you can have uh, under extreme stress. We, we know that there was great effort that he had to bring to moments. And, and, and I think one of the things that enabled him to not give up in those moments of effort is because the sense of acceptance that he had from his father. It's interesting that there's only a few times where it's recorded for us in the Gospels that God spoke over Jesus publicly for the world to hear. One of them's repeated, and and the phrase that the only one that's repeated is, this is my son that I love with whom I'm well pleased. This is my son that I love with whom I'm well pleased. I think God was giving him that gift because he knew that, 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 that in order for Jesus to bring the effort that he needed to bring, he needed to be secure in his acceptance with his father. And, and I'm sharing that with you because I believe that there's some people here tonight that, that you struggle with feelings of unworthiness. And because you struggle with feelings of unworthiness, it gives you a sense of permission to not try harder. It gives you a sense of permission to withdraw when you're supposed to press in. And so the, God was speaking those things in my heart as I was reading this morning out of Joshua chapter 10. This is uh, verse 12. It says, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. And he said, Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place, right? The universe paused because of Joshua's prayer until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies, right? Joshua knew that he was God's man, that God had picked him, that God had chosen him. And and, and so he was willing in that moment, this is what I want you to see, sometimes prayer takes effort. We think about labor like port tonight. It takes some effort to pull these things off. And Debbie helping to get all the cooking, right? It takes takes effort to do that kind of work. And and we, we understand that kind of effort. It takes effort to work in the nursery and change a dirty diaper. Bless those workers that are in there, right? We understand those things, but, but these things that we're talking about in this series about spiritual disciplines, prayer and worship and gathering accountability, those things take effort. They take effort. And, it, and if you've got feelings of unworthiness that are stirring in your heart, when it comes time in your journey, like it was in Joshua's journey, to bring the effort to believe for something that's, un, that's otherworldly, to believe for something that's supernatural, if, if you're not rested and secured and, and, and settled in that God loves you, that he's chosen you, that you have a purpose and that you have a destiny that you will shrink back when you're supposed to press in. So Father, whoever that's for tonight, whoever wandered in here tonight and maybe even secretly, they, they might be one of the people in this room that people would say is the most confident person in the church. They might be one of the most confident people by way of reputation, but it might be that deep down inside that there's just stirrings of of unworthiness and insecurity. And we pray that tonight that they would hear you speak the same words over them that you spoke over your son. This is my child that I love with whom I'm well pleased. 
And we pray that that word that you would speak over to them would displace all of that unworthiness and that there would be a, a renewed sense of spiritual strength and energy so that they would press in and not withdraw. So that when it comes time to moments, maybe like it was with Joshua, where there needs to be a prayer that is prayed, that is believed for the unbelievable. A prayer maybe that needs to be prayed, maybe over a relationship, maybe over a child, maybe over a diagnosis, maybe over a financial situation, God, that they would be ready to bring the effort to believe for you, for what others would say that is impossible, and they would bring that effort because they know that they are much loved by the creator of the universe. Come on, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. If that's you, I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. Briefly, though, because we have to get out. Hey, so we're in this series, this, I've, we've so enjoyed this series together, but we're going to be doing something like this probably at least once a year that just, that digs into this idea of discipleship, that digs into to what we believe it means, this is my clock, so I can make sure that I'm, all right, there we go, because I can't read the one in the back anymore, so those years have left, oh wow, it got bigger, oh I can read that one, nice, <laughs> people are looking back going, good God, he can't see that. <laughs> That's great. It used to be this little tiny thing in the corner. I'm like, who can read that, right? Everybody who's 20 and younger. All right. So I can read that now. That's, that's really nice. All right. I'm all distracted now. I know what time it is. <clears throat> Matthew 16, 27 says, For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. This is an important verse for us because it's telling us there's a test at the end. Right? It's telling us that, that one day all people are going to stand before Jesus and have a conversation with him about how we lived our lives. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you, but part of that promise is a conversation with Jesus. He wants to talk to you about how you did, how well you did with the life that you were given. And this idea of their deeds, that's you and me, that's the word praxis in the Greek. That's where we get the name for this series. And, it, and, it, and that word means what characterized your life. So Jesus is going to talk to us about what characterized our lives. And this whole series, this is our big idea, is that if I give myself to the praxis of imitating Christ, the day of my judgment will be one of hope and not despair. That if, if I give my life, as my greatest life purpose is to be like Jesus, I can look forward to that day. It's not going to be like the day when you were little and somebody sent you to your room and said, wait till your mom gets home or your dad gets home or your grandmother gets home or whoever was coming home to dish out that punishment, right? And that feeling inside of us that says, oh no, right? We hear him pull up into the driveway, right? At that day when Jesus doesn't have to be like that. We know we're going to make mistakes. We know we're not going to be perfect. But if the thing that has characterized us is we've poured out our whole life to be like Jesus, then that day of our conversation with him, that day of our judgment, that conversation can be one of hope and not despair. So these are our four numbers, the one, the six, and the 12, and the 24. The whole series has been breaking these down, but the one talks about this great invitation to be like Christ. The six refer to the six foundational commands that all of Jesus' teachings trace back to. The 12 are spiritual disciplines, or what we call pathways. And then the 24, what are they, CYP? The 24 are 24 
virtues. Come on, we had a house full of, of, uh, of, of young people in our house last night. They, they're, they're a good time, I'm just telling you. They're a good time. So fervent, there you go, fervent, right? So we, we went through all 24 of the virtues one by one last night and just began to break them down together. So this is our big statement as a church. If I accept the one, then I must fulfill the six. And to fulfill the six, I must walk in the 12. And when I walk in the 12, I become the 24. When you walk in these 12 pathways, you begin to fulfill these six commands that Jesus gave to us, and by doing so, you create a spiritually fertile place inside of you for these virtues to begin to grow, and as they begin to grow, then you fulfill the great invitation of becoming like Christ. In this series, we talked about the seven virtue blockers, and you can get that online, the podcast, and the notes. Last week, we went through a series of texts that connected specifically pathways to virtues. Here's another one, Psalm. 9, 1 through 2, talks about how worship brings to us a sense of joy. That when I worship, which is a pathway, joy, which is a virtue, comes alive inside of my heart. This idea of the 1, the 6, and the 12, and the 24, once you really get locked into it, it becomes a means that you can then begin to understand Scripture in a deeper way. All right, so we're working through some pathway principles. There's 12 principles that govern the 12 pathways. Last week we talked about concurrence. It's, 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 right, this isn't a buffet. We don't come to these 12 and say, I'm really into reading the Bible, but I'm not so up on prayer, and so I'm just going to leave that one alone. No, God says you need all 12 of these working in your life all the time. We talked about that last week. We talked about concatenation, this principle of sequence. You might look at that list of 12 and say, Fred, I don't have any of those things happening in my life. I feel a little bit overwhelmed at the thought of getting all 12. And I think God says to you, and he says to me, you don't have to get all 12 in right away. You need to eventually get all 12, but you start by picking a few you and then building on them. We always tell people that are maybe new to this conversation, start with reading your Bible every day, going to church every weekend, find a ministry that you can get involved in. You get those three pathways working in your life. The rest are sure to come. So we're going to work through some more tonight. I don't know how far we're going to get, but we're just going to wade out into it. We're going to go as long as we can, and then we'll push everything until the, the, uh, the series uh, wrap up for next week. So this one is the principle of completeness, the principle of completeness. Do you know why extramarital relationships are so sinful? Aside from the pain of being betrayed for the innocent spouse, it is saying to God, what you created for me isn't enough. I don't trust you. See, in, in, in Luke 12, 15, talks about our, our life is not measured by the abundance of the things which we possess. James 1, 17 is the famous verse that says, every good and perfect gift comes from our Father above. There are boundaries in this life that God has given to us. There are no's that he speaks to us. There are times where we find ourselves in decisions where we want to choose to do something or maybe the world is giving us permission to say that, that I was born this way in this aspect or this aspect or maybe it's just this moment where we know that it's selfish, we know that it's wrong, but we say I'm going to do it anyways because I just think it's going to be such an incredible experience. We have to remember as devoted followers of Christ that God says to you and he says to me, hey, there are boundaries that I have put in place for this earth earthly existence for this human experience, and the boundaries that he puts in place are not to rob us of pleasure. They are to protect us from mediocrity. The boundaries that he puts in place is because he's trying to protect us from the pain that comes after momentary pleasure because he wants us to experience fullness of life. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest possible measure. 
He didn't say, I've come so that you might have life. It's going to be a little bit less than the rest of the world, but that's okay. Heaven's going to be better for you one day. That's not what he said. Psalm 27, 13, I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord when? In the land of the living. Jesus has boundaries. Godliness has boundaries. Christianity has boundaries. It's not because God is a prude. It's not because he takes water. There you go. It's not because he takes pleasure in seeing that your life is boring. God wants you to drink deep from the cup of life and to live a life that is overflowing. The devil loves to come in and tempt you this way and tempt you that way. Sometimes it's not the devil at all. Sometimes it's just our own brokenness that tries to draw us away from the life that has called us to live. These pathways, I'm convinced that many of the reasons why people run after things outside of the boundaries is because they're not giving themselves fully to the things that are within the boundaries. So there's a spiritual aching inside of them. There's a spiritual longing deep inside of them. There's a feeling that's real, that's legitimate, that God has put there for them. It could be a desire for a relationship. That's a good thing that God has put inside of them, but maybe that relationship isn't coming fast enough, so they pursue it outside of the boundaries that God has for them. Maybe, maybe there's feelings of loneliness, which God has given us, this feeling of loneliness, which is a good thing to motivate us to not live in isolation. You with me? If, if you don't give yourself these 12 pathways as the gift that they are to you, there's going to be a spiritual aching inside of your heart that leaves you vulnerable to the temptations of the devil and the temptation of of humanity. The principle of completeness says, I need to give myself to these 12. If not, if not, I will live my life in a spiritually vulnerable place. I will live spiritually hungry. I will live spiritually thirsty. And Jesus says, you don't have to live your life that way. The principle of completeness. Let's talk about the principle of connection. Psalm 119, 171. Psalm 119, 171. It says, let praise flow from my lips. Let praise flow from my lips, for you have taught me your decrees. See, this, this idea of the principle of connection means that all of these pathways are interconnected to one another. They're interconnected to one another. So this is a good example here where the psalmist is telling us is that when you give your life to the study of God's word, then this desire to praise God in a setting just like we did will come alive in your heart. The, the, this one pathway, if it's not present, it can cause these other pathways over here to be absent. Sometimes this, this, this idea of, of reading God's word, right, it, it might be that somebody says, well, Fred, I have a hard time reading my Bible. And so I don't start with them talking about what's their plan or is there disciplines in their life for reading God's word, those types of things. You know, I start talking with them about the other 11 pathways. Because if those other 11 pathways aren't present in their life, then I'm not surprised that they don't want to read God's word. Because all the pathways help elevate the other ones after themselves. Let me give you an example. There's a great connection between worship and reaching. As you give yourself to these moments of worship and you experience the presence of God like we experienced him tonight together, it motivates you to tell other people outside of here about Jesus because you experience his love in such a deep way. 
Does that make sense? When you have a, a, a revelation of the glory of God like we're supposed to have, it motivates us to talk to other people about Jesus because we want them to know how good that He is because of what we've experienced. You do this, right? We do it all the time. You, restaurants that you like to go to, foods that you like to eat, right? If you're a shopper like me, right? Brad's another shopper. There's only about two of us male shoppers in the church, but we're standing strong, right? I'll, I, saw, I remember I've been at the mall one time and texting Brad, there's a great sale at so-and-so store, right? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. All the time, all the time, you're talking to people about things that excite you. If you're not talking to people about Jesus, it might be because you don't give yourself to worship. You tracking with me? This, this principle of connection, let's do another one. How about the connection between relationship and prayer? If you feel like you don't really have anything to pray about, it might be because you just really don't talk to people. If you go to a life group, if you go to the, the men's group, the, all the different men's groups that are meeting, the ladies groups, the devoted conference, I'm telling you, you ladies that went to the devoted conference, I'm trusting that you've prayed more this week because of the things that ladies shared in, that, in those small groups, you're motivated to pray because you've been in relationship with people because you know about the needs that they have. This principle of connection, it's huge. If you're struggling with one of the pathways, it might have nothing to do with that particular pathway. It might have to do with the fact that so many other are absent. You should never be at a loss if you have a church that you call home for things to pray about because this room is filled with people who have need. I have need, you have need, and when we begin to go deep in relationship and begin to make ourselves vulnerable and share those needs with one another, I'm telling you, the, 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 the prayer voice of a church, it just begins to rise. Principle of connection. All right, let's do another one. How about the connection between rest and everything? Right? Rest and everything. It's going to be in our overseers. We're going to talk about overworking. If you don't practice a weekly Sabbath, you will not have the energy that you need to do any of the other things that God calls you to. Human body has limitations. And if we don't care for this physical body that we've been given, it will not have the energy that it needs to bring the effort that is required. It's one of the reasons why rest is one of the big ten we're going to talk about when we get to that message in the series, the connection of rest and everything. How about the connection between fasting and stewardship? We're going to eventually get to a sermon on fasting, actually. But one of the reasons why fasting is such an important practice in our life is because it teaches us how to self-govern. It teaches us how to be in control of ourselves. You can be in control of your need to eat, right? Because now you're tapping into this, this survival. Because your, bo your body does not know that you're going to eat at a certain point, right? I mean, if, if, you, if you go on a fast, let's just say you do a, just say you fast for a day, just for one day. And let's say you're, you're just going to drink V8 juice just for a day. Your body, right, right away starts to panic. We're, we're going to die, right? <laughs> the zombie apocalypse has happened. There's no food left on the earth, right? Your body doesn't know. Your body doesn't understand. It just knows that it's used to this regular flow of input, right? And then when you cut that off, your body's screaming, right? Feed me. Some of you have never fasted before. You still know exactly what I'm talking about. This, this idea of fasting is, is to strengthen your will to, to govern over your appetites. Because our appetite for food isn't our only appetite. 
our appetite for sexuality, our, our appetite for emotional affirmation, our, our appetite for intellectual stimulus, right? That list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. We have all kinds of appetites. We're supposed to govern and rule over those appetites. And so, so when you begin to practice fasting regularly in your life to where you put yourself in a position where you have to say no to your, your hunger, the next time you're in the store and, and you want to be compulsive in spending, I'm telling you, you will find a newfound strength over restra- to have restraint over spending because you've begun to practice fasting. Right? There is a principle of connection. All of the pathways serve the other pathways. Everyone are all connected in every way. Principle of comprehension. Principle of comprehension. I got this one on the screen. So, you, so don't be surprised. Now, this is the famous conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's one of the most famous conversations in Scripture. So, so don't be surprised. This is, this is well into the conversation. Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Now, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Now, some people use this as a sense of permission to say, I'm going to live an accountability-free life because Jesus told Nicodemus that being a Christian is just like the wind. You don't know where you're going, but when it blows, you're just going this way and going that way. That has nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. Zero. Zero. Because when, when, the, when the story opens, depending on what translation you're using for your Bible, if you've got King James, it says, verily, verily, I say unto you. If you've got a more modern translation, maybe it says, truly, truly, I say unto you. And you see that phrase repeated, not just in this conversation, but you see that phrase repeated in Jesus' conversation many times. And that word, verily, verily, is the word in Aramaic, aman. And what he's saying is, aman, aman. Now, to the Jewish people that were listening, who were the predominantly the, the people that created the crowds that he was talking to, they would have understood Deuteronomy 7-9 because that's one of the great names of God, right? All throughout the Old Testament, if you're reading with us, if you're not, just jump into the reading plan tomorrow and just pick up. Don't feel like you have to catch up, right? Just pick up where we are. But as we're reading through the Old Testament, God right reveals himself, Jehovah Jireh, the great provider, right? There's this, all of these names that he gives to himself. One of them, he, he calls himself the great Amon El, the great Amon El, which means that, that you can trust God to always keep his word, to always keep his promise that he's the faithful God. That's what it means, the Amon El. So when Jesus looks at them and says, Aman, Aman, what he's saying to them is, you understand God to be the great Aman El, you can put that same trust in me because I'm his son. The same way you know God, you can know me. That's why it translates truly, truly. Jesus is saying to them, hey, these words that I'm speaking to you, these aren't the words of a man, these these are the words of God himself. I only say what I hear the Father saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. So he, he's in this conversation with Nicodemus, and he's saying, Nicodemus, you have to trust what I'm telling you to be true. And then he goes on to this, this weather rant here, and, and what he's saying to Nicodemus is, Nicodemus, you don't understand weather. They didn't have the technology that we have today, right? They didn't have Wavy News 10. They didn't have weather bug, right? We can check the radar. They had none of that. They, 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 a lot of what they believed about weathers and things like that, they believed it was just some supernatural thing that was happening in the world. They, they did not understand how it worked, but they, but they knew that it did, and so they just trusted it. 
So, so Jesus said, Nicodemus, you live your life every day trusting things that you don't understand with your mind, but because you believe them to be true in your heart, you're willing to risk your life for it. Do that same thing for me. That's what John 3 is about. He's saying to you, and he's saying to me, and he was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, who was a religious teacher of his day, he was an intellectual of his day, he was saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, if you don't let your heart get out in front of your head, you will never go as far as you can as my devoted follower. If you don't let your heart get out in front of your head, you're never gonna see everything that you're supposed to see, do everything that you're supposed to do, accomplish, become everything that you're supposed to become. There is a part of Christianity that's revelation-based. There's part of Christianity that's, that's, that's revelatory. Now, whatever revelations we find, right, we've got to be able to ground it in Scripture. I'm not talking about this idea of whatever you feel like God says to you, just run and do it. That's not what he's talking about. But what he is saying is sometimes God's going to ask us to do things that in our minds they do not make sense, but in our heart, if we trust him as the great Amon El, I believe many, many times our head catches up by some measure. But early on in our journeys as a devoted follower of Christ or deeper in to our journeys as followers of Christ, there are times where God asks things of us that we don't completely understand, but in our heart we feel the truth of it. And Jesus is saying that in those moments you have got to be willing to trust me. We, we, we practice tithing as a family. We've always done it. Before I worked at a church, we practiced it. Ten years in a corporate setting, we were just ex excited about giving to our church then as we are today. It doesn't make sense when God says, give 10% of your gross annual income, give it away, and live generously even off of what's left. That doesn't make sense, but in my heart, I know it to be true, and he's my Amon El. When, when he says to me, I want you to love your enemy, I want you to forgive your enemy, Right? There is nothing in my head or my heart in those moments, right, that wants to do those. You're tracking with me. There are times where we go, R -r -r God, that's really what, that's what you're asking of me? How about when Jesus was on the water and he calls out to Peter to step over that gunwale, that side of the boat, and to come to him? Nobody else wanted to go because they weren't letting their hearts get out in front of their head. But Peter, oh, he sank, but he walked for a little while more than anybody else in that boat did that day. This principle of comprehension, when it comes to these, these pathways, there might be some that you look at, like this, maybe that one on fasting, maybe the one on accountability, maybe it is this one on stewardship and generosity. Maybe, again, you're a naturally introverted person, and so this idea of, of, of being vulnerable to people in relationship, maybe you've been hurt by churches in the past, and that causes you to want to withdraw. We all have all kinds of thoughts that are spinning around in our heads that cause us to not want to exercise these pathways in the way that we're supposed to, but, but in your heart, you've got to say, I know that it's true. I know that God always has my best interest at heart. I believe that he is the Amon El, and even though my head says no, my heart says yes, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to get out of the boat. All right, the principle of conviction. Principle of conviction, Matthew 5, 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. Some translations say, and they will be satisfied. We often think of this word in the negative, but it has a powerful counterpart in the positive. The more I do them, the more I want them. 
You see, where an, 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 an addiction is controlling the breaking down of our will, convictions are the thoughtful, determined, focused acts of a properly engaged will that says, I can't help but do because I am. Let me read that again. Addictions is controlling. It's the breaking down of my will. That's an addiction. But conviction, conviction, it's the thoughtful, determined, focused acts of a properly engaged will that says, I can't help but do because I am. As you begin to give yourself to these pathways, there is an appetite for them that begins to grow in your life. So we understand the counterpart of that. You know, part of my story was just a, a life that was steeped in a pleasure-seeking for, for more than a decade. There's an ugly side to my past. Some of, some of you, there's an ugly part to your past. And, and maybe some of yours is like mine, that addiction was part of that, where, where, where something's got a hold of your life that, that you just seem out of control. That, that's, a, that's a perversion of conviction. Addiction is the devil's perversion of the godliness of conviction. This idea of compulsion, it's a good thing. This, God wired you, you with me? God wired you in such a way that, that you had to be vulnerable. It's just like your capacity to love is also your capacity to hate. But God risks hate in the world so that love can have its pure expression. Right? God risks addiction. He, he's, he, he's made our humanity such that we're vulnerable to addiction, but, but it's so that we have the ability to experience the beauty of compulsion in a beautiful way. When a child is born and, and, and laid on their mother for the first time, there is a compulsion inside of that mother to love that child like nothing else. Are you tracking with me? When, when you stand at an altar, when you stood at an altar and those doors open and you saw your, your, your bride, right, that opened up in those, those doors, like if you were at Nathaniel and Shani's wedding, we, we thought for sure Nathaniel's spontaneous combustion was just going to happen right, right there. Boom, there he goes. He's done. There should be a compulsion. In that moment, you think, can think back to your day, there was a compulsion inside of you that says, I cannot contain my own heart in this moment. There's times where you've been in God's presence, maybe just by yourself or maybe here. There's times for me in our worship set, like that worship set today, that last song that they did, unbelievable, right? If that doesn't stir your heart, come on, we need to get something to, like a defibrillator or something on you. You can be in God's presence and it feels as though I'm not sure my humanity can withstand the presence of his glory in, in this moment. I'm telling you, when you begin to experience things like that, when you begin to read the Bible, maybe you say, well, I read the Bible, I don't understand it. Keep going. It'll come. Don't give up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you don't understand anything in the Bible, then don't read anything else but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John for the rest of your life until something clicks. And it will. Revelation will happen. And when you taste of that for the first time, I'm telling you, you'll just want more. You might be a pocket worshiper. You got your hands in your pockets because you're just so afraid right, of, of this, this idea of just engaging your body in worship. T I'm, take, take a chance. Take a chance. Close your eyes. Raise your hands. It's an act of surrender to your Father. I'm just telling you, you get a taste of that. You're going to be running around up here. We're going to have to tell you to sit down. You call somebody at this church that you trust and 
share a secret that you've kept your whole life, that you just have been dying to tell somebody so they can pray with you, take a chance. Take a chance. Just telling you, taste. Some of you, every week we have people in these back corners of the church that are there to pray. Some of you, you you've wanted to go back there and ask someone to pray for you for, for years and you've never done it. Take a chance. Take a chance. Take a chance. Some of you have been coming here and we set up these communion tables up here the first weekend of every month and you've never come up here because you feel unworthy. Take a chance. You, take a chance. This idea of, of conviction, God wants to awaken an appetite inside of you for the things of God and for the things of eternity. And when you begin to taste those things, I am telling you what, there is nothing that the world can offer you that's going to look better. If you are raising teenagers, I hope you're giving them a revelation of the goodness of God that can only be found in these pathways because the world is knocking on their door. And when they come... We want our kids, we want your kids to say, I don't need none of what you're offering because what I got is better. It's deeper. It's forever. This idea that Christianity is about suffering in this life and I get my reward in heaven is, you know what it is. I can't say it. They're recording this right now. I'm not saying that everything in life is a bed of roses. There's tragedy, there's trouble, there's suffering, but when you're locked into these things, then you've got what you need, perseverance, one of the virtues, to make it through. To make it through. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Oh, I love this verse. Isaiah 43, 19 through 21. Listen to what God says. For I am about to do something new. For some of you need to hear that tonight. I'm about to do something new. People are going to be back in those corners for prayer, even during this last song. Some of you need to find your way there as soon as we stand. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do, do you not see it, God says? Listen to what he says. I will make a what? A pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. The wild animals in the fields will thank me. The jackals and the owls too for giving them water in the desert. Yes, I will make rivers in the dry wasteland so my chosen people can be refreshed. I have made Israel, that's you, you're chosen. I have made Israel for myself that they will someday honor me before the whole world stand with me. Father, we know that the greatest way that we can honor you before the whole world is to look like your son. These pathways that you've made for us in the wilderness, it's this story that we've been talking about. It's these pathways, it's scripture and worship and prayer and rest and stewardship and accountability and generosity, all these pathways that you've given to us lead us through the wasteland of this human existence. And we have the opportunity, we have the privilege to honor you, to bring glory to your name through one way and one way only is to look like your son let virtues come alive in us one after another after another after another after another sprouting up oh god sprouting up like the flowers that are pressing through the soil of springtime let virtues come alive in us in Jesus' name come on let's worship together
trust is without borders Wherever you would call me Further than my feet could ever wander And my faith would be made stronger In the presence of my Savior Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders Let me walk upon the waters Wherever you call me and take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior in the presence of my Savior take me deeper my feet could ever wander. Spirit, lead me. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. And me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever Beginning in verse 18, it says, There are three things that amaze me, no, no four things that I don't understand. You find that pattern, especially in Proverbs. You see it some in Psalms where it gives a list and it says, No, there's one more. That, it's a, it's a, it was an ancient poetic way of giving emphasis to the last one. So there's three things that amaze me, no, no four things I don't understand. How an eagle glides through the sky. How a snake slithers on a rock, how a ship navigates the ocean. Here's number four, how a man loves a woman. What Solomon is saying here in Proverbs and what we're saying here tonight is that, I don't know about you, but I, I want a life that I can't always figure out. I'm glad that living for Jesus, it's a faith and not a science. I'm glad that, 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 that part of my journey is that I have to trust my heart and let it have to get out a little bit ahead of my head. So I'm just closing with this tonight because I believe for some of you, that's your challenge. 
You don't step until you've got it all figured out. And for some things in life, that means that you're just going to stay stuck where you are. You've got to find a comfort level like Solomon here in writing Proverbs. And there's just things to life that I'm just going to know in my heart to be true. And my head's just going to have to catch up. And if it never catches up, I'm going to celebrate the revelation of the feeling of truth that I have. So, Father, for every person that's stuck tonight, for every person that's that's, that's maybe stuck in a bad place or even stuck in a good place and because you've got something better for them, they're going to get unstuck tonight. They're going to yield their heart to the leading and the prompting of your Holy Spirit. And they're going to run after that thing that you have put in front of them, even though they can't figure it all the way out, because they know it to be true. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody said together. Amen. Hey, a couple of, a couple of instructions before we go. Marvin's got some information. If you want to go on the missions trip to Haiti, this summer, if you're interested in that, I'm going to dismiss you right now so you can go find him in the lobby because he's got some things to share with you because we can't stay tonight. So don't forget, we cannot linger here in the building tonight. Does that make sense? You've got kids in the nursery. We need you to get them. You've got to take all your fellowship off-site tonight. But, but before you go, we've we got to stack these chairs. So we're asking you to help us do that. The row that you're in, stack the chairs to the middle and leave them stacked there. So stack every row that you're in, stack them and leave them right in the middle. And they're going to come around behind us and move them. We'll see you next week. Eternity, your grace finds me.
Grace. 